0: Grit to me is ride the twists and turns, be agile, have a growth mindset, and keep focused on where you want to go. That's how I think about it. For our teams, I actually used the word earlier today talking to the GitHub revenue team. I think it's all of that. We're in something together. Let's go accomplish it together. And there's twists and turns always. And I think it's how you react to that and stay adaptable and agile.
1: Hi, I'm Jubin to market partner at Kleiner Perkins and this is GTMG, a show that interviews world-class revenue and go-to-market leaders to explore how they operate, think, and deploy grit every day in order to build incredible companies. Now let's get to the episode. Erica, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you. I'm excited.
1: So I'm going to read your background back to you for the audience that's listening. This is take two, maybe take three, who knows anymore, but I'm glad we're doing it. We won't have any audio issues this time around. Let me read your background back to you and then I will make a mistake where I do. Please go ahead and correct me. Sound good?
0: That sounds perfect.
1: Okay. you got your bachelor's in poli sci and government from Vanderbilt. You got your MBA from Lipscomb University. definitely screwed that up. Then you went to Athletico. You're the manager of Corp Dev for four years. Then you went to service source. You spent four years there from 09 to 13, first as a business analyst for a year, then as an operations manager for a year, senior program manager for two and a half years. Then you stumbled on this company called GitHub. And at the time that was 2013, you started as the director of sales operations, You did that for three and a half years from 13 to 17. Then you went to become the VP of sales operations. You did that for two years from 17 to 19, in the midst of which Microsoft announced the acquisition for seven and a half billion. That was June of 2018. So right in the middle of that stint, then you became the VP of worldwide sales in 2019. You spent almost a year doing that SVP of worldwide sales almost a half year doing that, they were like, you know what? Half year is too long. Let's make sure she's the SVP of revenue, which I assume ostensibly means you manage all of revenue at GitHub. And you've been doing that for almost a year.
0: That's it. Wrong? No, you you got it. You're good. Even the pronunciations of Lipscomb, you got it. They're the the bisons. Uh, Is that true? That is true. (laughs) Where is that? It's in uh, Nashville, Tennessee.
1: Got it. Let's start with what was your first ever job?
0: Like ever, ever first job.
1: Ever. First job that someone handed you a check for the work that you did.
0: Like cash as a babysitter. Does that count?
1: Okay. Yeah, that counts. Yeah. 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 We won't report that to the IRS. That counts. Absolutely. Yeah. We'll take that. Yeah. Okay. And, and how old were you when you did that?
0: Oh, I was a, you know, very entrepreneurial 11 year old.
1: You were taking care of kids at 11?
0: Yeah, like infants, newborns. Like I look back and I, it's very shocking to me. Wow. <laughs> I was I was very responsible from a young age, so
1: I wouldn't trust myself now. I want to talk about a bunch of things with you today. One of the main topics is like challenges and failures as I read the guests that I've had the kind of honor of having on the show, when I whenever I read these things, it just reads like a hit list, like the Hollywood, you know, (laughs) steps of just fame where everything that you did, you know, you couldn't have risen fast enough. And so one of the things that might be weird to talk to you about because on the outside looking in, you haven't failed, is failure. So I wanna talk about challenges, I wanna talk about failures with you, I wanna talk a little bit about bottoms up, top down. Maybe before we do any of that, could you spend like 30 seconds for the audience who may not know, what is GitHub?
0: So for the audience out there, GitHub is really where the world develops software, whether you're an individual developer or teams of developers or an enterprise customer that we have. It's where people aggregate in the platform for developing software. We're the home of open source software, which you will find in almost any piece of software today, if you will. And we have many of the Fortune 50 Fortune 500 that you would imagine use GitHub as their software development platform.
1: So when you joined, GitHub had just reached three and a half million active users and there was 150 employees about, like based on the research that I did. They hadn't really raised any money either, like not really any venture money until about the year that you joined. Is that also correct?
0: So I joined right after they took what was, at the time, the largest round of investment. So Andreessen had done a $100 million investment. I joined right after that period of time. And that was in support of the company was ready to really scale with enterprise sales. And I joined, they had hired a chief revenue officer. And that was someone I'd worked with in my past at ServiceSource. And I joined to help partner on scaling the foundation of an enterprise sales organization.
1: And was that Paul who was there at the time?
0: No, it was a different leader there at the time. Mm -hmm. Got it. Paul came about a year later and the rest is history in terms of the exponential growth from there.
1: So I gotta ask you like the most obvious question and correct me if I'm wrong, but until 2019, when you got promoted into VP of worldwide sales, had you ever carried a bag as no, a rep? No. Ever. Never. Had you ever managed quota carrying reps? Never. 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 And Microsoft spends almost $8 billion on GitHub. And this is Microsoft, by the way, who has every sales leader imaginable. They had every opportunity to bring in whoever they wanted. And they choose Erica who, again, has never, ever managed a team of reps, never carried a bag. How the hell did that happen? I don't even know how to ask that in a more specific way. Please tell us the story as long as it
0: needs to go. Yes, yes. Well, I would say that there was a sales leader that joined Paul St. John in 2014 and was there till 2019. And we had a very close partnership was what you kind of imagine and maybe aspire to with a sales operations leader and the sales leader. And we really worked hand in hand, right hand, left hand, mixing back and forth in terms of how we helped build and scale the organization together. And he was a great mentor for me to learn from along the way. And so I think that was a big part of it. When the acquisition happened, we had a really... Wonderful sales organization, very successful sales organization that was growing exponentially. And one of the premises of the acquisition by Microsoft was to allow GitHub to continue to run independently. And we had very clear principles for the acquisition, which was really wonderful. Of
1: similar to LinkedIn,
0: yeah, very similar to LinkedIn, and it was something that was very impressive to actually watch. Of like, I'd never been part of an acquisition; I'd been part of an a- IPO. At my prior company, and it was really interesting to watch having principles for an acquisition and really living those principles, I would say. And the principles were, you know, let's do what's best for developers and for GitHub. Let's find the areas that Microsoft can accelerate GitHub, but make that a choice for GitHub to choose those. And so when we were at that period of time, I think continuity, the culture of the sales organization was really important to maintain. And so I think, you know, they looked inward and we were at a point in time where we needed to scale. We needed to figure out how to leverage Microsoft and the Microsoft field for our future sales growth. And that really fits a skill set, honestly, of somebody that's very operational, that knows how to execute, that, you know, kind of has a scale mindset. And that's what honestly fit well at the time, I think. Those elements of let's maintain the goodness of our sales culture with someone internal, GitHub's being run independently. And look, hey, we're at a moment of time where it's scale, execution, taking us to the next growth level, and it fit my skill sets.
1: That's amazing, first of all. Couple questions. One, the partnership that you dream about between you and Paul, let's explore that a little bit more. Looking back, what were the key tenets of success? and a partnership between sales operations and a sales leader?
0: It was a partnership, and I think we had the sounding board. We were thought partners together on everything. What's the strategy? What's happening from product? Where are we going with our go-to-market strategy? How are we building the organization Here's the data and the analytics that support your views. I think the partnership was good because it was a mix of skill sets that we combined well. And he really treated me as a partner and a thought partner. And I think that made us very successful because we had very different skills. Very, very different, which worked very well for the organization. He was out working with our customers on the front lines. And I was helping, you know, kind of our internal foundations, making sure we were building those and scaling those to fit the growth that we were seeing across our customers.
1: How often were you guys talking?
0: Oh my gosh, you will, there's many recordings of hearing Paul say, like at one point in time, I think I was number one on his list of frequency of calls, you know, Uh before his partner and husband. And it was, yeah, it was, it was a lot every day. No question. I was usually the, the first phone call of the day. So it was constant. So constant communication, constant running things by each other.
1: It reminds me of the State Farm commercial where the wife comes down and she's like, honey, who are you talking yeah. to? He's like, Jake from State Farm. Oh, what are you wearing, Jake? Yeah. <laughs> it, that. <laughs> it,
0: it was very much that. It was very much that.
1: That is amazing. Okay. So were you insecure? Yes. Tell me, like, yes. <laughs> I put myself in your shoes. And it's like my biggest insecurity would be that I've, no pun intended, never walked in the team that I'm leading shoes. Mm-hmm. So the question that they're probably asking that folks have asked me is like, why should I trust you? How are you going to be an effective coach and a mentor? How can I bring a deal to you, Erica? And you know how to navigate that. Yeah. When I forecast a three, four million dollar deal and it slips, how are you gonna react, having never understood that grind? What did you think about when that was happening? Did you say no? I would have said, like, you know what? No, no way, no way. Uh, How'd you think about it?
0: (laughs) Yeah, you know, I think the role was not what I expected. And I think you know, there's lessons here in life of when the opportunity came, I was very surprised, not what I expected and not what I thought would happen in my future. And Yes, I was very insecure that I had never carried a bag. And how are people going to get behind me? And, you know, I think the way that I really thought about it was, one, I was trusted at the company and I was trusted by the team just in terms of building the relationships over time. And I think I tried to be very transparent that I have not carried a bag, but I am willing to learn And walk in the shoes and learn the shoes and be empathetic and have my eyes wide open and understand that that is not something that I've done. And then, frankly, there was a wonderful team around me. The folks that were my peers, these were experts in their areas, in their different geographies, running their teams. And They gave me a lot of confidence and a lot of support in terms of we will be here for you and we will help you in these areas where you've not done this before, but we trust you.
1: Yeah. You know, I think a lot of our audience wants to be you one day. What I mean by that is that there's a lot of aspirational salespeople, I would say more broadly speaking, like leaders, like aspirational leaders that want to learn from folks like you. And I don't think they quite get how hard and sometimes not fun it is and so going back to like when you were watching paul Mm -hmm. and you said like we had very different skill sets Mm -hmm. and you said i did not expect this to be the direction that we went Mm
0: -hmm.
1: i imagine when you were working with him in that partnership you were not really excited to go do his job (laughs) maybe you were maybe you were i don't know you tell me were you
0: You no, know, I think because it does not really cross my mind. But, you know, when you took a step back and it really came to fruition, I had a lot of the underlying things. I was so passionate about this sales team and the customers and what we had built. And a lot of that is that passion and energy that you can create around what you're doing. But, yeah, no, I never thought about it. And there were a lot of things when I would look at Paul that I was like, I could never do that. And, you know, lo and behold, you can. And. You can learn different skill sets and expand where you wouldn't expect. It's
1: Amazing. What did you do to figure out as quickly as possible what you needed to develop empathy, i.e. like how did you learn the skills that your team had and was using every day to do their job? Did you find mentors? Sometimes it's hard to find mentors that are not in the organization who you can be like really candid with and understand the context with which you're operating. Did you read sales books? Like, what did you do to, as quickly as possible, at least learn the blocking and tackling of the skill set that you maybe didn't have going into it?
0: I would say the primary thing, and this is where I generally like to spend a lot of time and as a strength, is just listening. I mean, just putting myself in places to listen and learn and talk to a rep talk to a manager in, you know, whatever region and just listening and learning with a different like switch on, I guess, right? Like I was in all of these places, in all the forecast calls, listening in executive briefings we would do with customers, but I had to switch on kind of a different lens. And that's honestly where I spent most of the time. And then working with the the leaders on the team, they were really the ones to help uplevel me where I needed to go and point me in the right direction and provide that guidance. So that was a primary thing. And of course, I have folks in the, the industry that I talk to and provide guidance. But honestly, it's so nuanced to your own business that I really had to do it within the walls of GitHub to teach myself
1: it sounds perfect. You developed this perfect skill set. It was an unbelievable cast of characters that were around you. You had perfect support from this giant organization. You know, lucky us, that organization's stock has skyrocketed in the last couple of years. GitHub's business is going like crazy. It looks like it was a bargain, the price they paid for GitHub at the time. And so, what didn't work? I've been a part of acquisitions. Anything from politics to leaders wanting to step on your turf, to you not having the domain expertise to get the job done, to you wanting to come in and like make a splash and then miss forecasting, mismanaging a deal. I don't even necessarily care about challenges and failures in this transition, but just like when I look at this resume, where are the times that sucked for Erica? I don't know how else to ask that question.
0: <laughs> yes, there, there have been a few as you can imagine at GitHub, one of the times, and it was a very, very good lesson, and a very painful lesson. We were doing really well, scaling this enterprise motion, and the company was working on an enterprise cloud product effectively. And we were very, very excited to be able to offer our customers the wonderful thing that they were buying on-prem, and have a cloud option for it, and, it was a very good lesson. We got very excited. The product was coming in a few months and we hired a much more robust, effectively SMB and and mid market team to support what we thought would be, you know, the product market fit for an enterprise cloud product. And lo and behold, we made a different decision and decided to not continue development at that time on the product and bring this product to market. And we learned a very, very painful lesson around you know hiring and expanding before you're in that market with a product that had fit. And we ended up having to scale back effectively. And it was probably one of the most painful lessons you can learn in terms of when you're impacting people that you have brought to your organization and that you hired before you should have. So. You know, when I look back at things at GitHub and there are several other examples that that has been one of the more painful challenges. And, you know, to kind of carry that with us in terms of when you're a rapidly growing company, a rapidly expanding product landscape, how do you decide when and how to scale your sales organization? And we we learned a hard lesson there.
1: So scale back euphemism for you had to fire a bunch of people. Correct. And. Help me understand, like you hired, I don't know, 50, 100, 20, I don't know, whatever size and scope of people yep. and you released the product and it didn't have the fit that you thought or you could tell there was leading indicators of this isn't going to be what we thought it was going to be. And we hired too soon.
0: Yeah, we did not release the product until about a year later. So it was more we hired before it was there, really there. And it was a lesson to not do that. Despite it being a very imminent product, things happen and they change. And we learned that lesson. And yes, scale back was, you know, having to let people go and wait a year until the product really came to market and could then scale again.
1: Maybe it's a personal question. You can or cannot answer it. No problem. But you kind of did it the hard way in a sense. You're in a really an impressive position right now. And you did it without carrying a bag. Sales has traditionally been like a boys club mm-hmm. in the sense that like you're going into an organization like Microsoft. I wonder what the single digit percent of women leaders at Microsoft is or at any tech company. It's pretty low. I just feel like you've probably had to push the rock uphill a lot. And if that's the case and you agree, what kept you going? What did you do to like keep cool internally? And what was burning your fire to like battle through just a lot of shit? Excuse my language. Like, again, <laughs> I'm not putting words in your mouth and feel free to disagree with me. But is that fair or am I creating something out of nothing?
0: No, very fair. I mean, I think it's it's very rare. It's still rare for someone like me to be in the role that I am. And there were a lot of things to push through over time. I think for me, just an internal drive and i have a lot of patience, a lot of focus just to do the best work i guess of my life is generally what i always try to do. i have a very high quality bar for myself and i think that eventually that shines through and you know keeps you progressing and i've just kind of stayed true to myself i guess along the way. so i'm a mother, i've got three children. i got a lot going on, you know, even outside of of what I am and the role I play at GitHub. And that's important to me too.
1: Where does that come from? Call it perfectionism. You said it well, you want to do things really great, like the best work of your life. Yeah. Where does that come from? What does that give back to you? Maybe it's a specific question that (laughs) I could ask.
0: I, I think I, you know, I derive a lot of personal satisfaction out of producing things, you know, whether that's like the people I surround myself, the team or actual work product and it being quality, I think that creates drive in myself. And I think I have a very silent kind of determination that fuels me. I like to see people successful and I love numbers and businesses growing (laughs) and, you know, that keeps me energized.
1: Do you think people have underestimated you? There's a lot of different types of competitive. And there is a stereotype around competitive, especially in sales, that it's like the chest thumping, rah, rah competitive. But sometimes the best I've ever seen, leaders or reps, are quiet competitive, mainly because they're competitive with themselves. And those are almost always people that are underrated, like uncut gems in the organization because they're not saying much. And they don't need external pressure or anything like to reinforce their competitiveness like it just comes from within mm-hmm. and i've often seen those people be underrated do you feel that way
0: i don't know if i felt underrated necessarily but i, I am not the chest pumping <laughs> i am a very uh, more quiet steady stable hand very much an internal competitiveness versus external i think you have to be more present when you're like that so that you're not underrated, I would say. So that's been something that I've you know, had to work on over the years, I would say, to make that pull through too.
1: Tell me more about that. What do you mean, be more present?
0: Starting in my career, I would have lots of thoughts, but they were quiet thoughts, not spoken thoughts. And I think over time, I've you know, just found the voice and there's always a, a right moment. So I'm not the leader that's talking all the time but I've tried to become the leader that's talking at the most pertinent time. And so you use your your words and your quote-unquote power, if you will, at the right time.
1: Thank you. I didn't mean to pry. That's just fascinating. In this role versus in your operations role, what is that like real sense of I did it or satisfaction? And is it the same from the operations role to a people leadership role, if you will. So like an example, a common one that I hear, one that certainly was what drove me as a as a leader, was watching others succeed and do things they were never capable of. That was the number one thing that drove me was seeing someone that had doubts and insecurities and and putting them out a little bit ahead of their skis and watching them succeed in that role and then go on to do amazing things. You're not getting that from an operations role, assumingly. So did your feedback loop Of like energy change from one to the next?
0: I mean, I think in the operations role, I was very focused obviously on like the health of the business, if you will. And I'm still obviously very concerned about that, but I think it shifted to more, much more of a people focus. I would say very attuned and driving and spending a lot of time on having a culture that I'm proud of and that we have a, a team that people love to work on this organization and team. And yes, like seeing this organization grow is just giving opportunities to people. And that that feeds me more now than like, oh man, we, we achieved X, Y, or Z. We, you know, inched it out in the quarter. It's, those are always great moments, but it's much larger than that now.
1: Nothing's gonna get by you on like forecasting and the data. No, nope, nope. no, so like I assume your team is very on the ball when it comes to making sure that they understand their data.
0: Well, we always have room for improvement uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, in general, it's I would say that my skill set is very much in understanding our data and what I really think from a forecasting perspective. so. Yes, that makes him fun from that angle.:
1: <laughs> So Dan Shapiro, who is I guess kind of your peer, but at LinkedIn, mm-hmm. who I don't know if you've met him before, but if you haven't, he's unbelievable. Have you met him?:
0: I haven't met him, but I was ex- exchanged an email recently because uh, we were talking about Microsoft and and how you co-sell with Microsoft. <laughs>
1: Probably like, all right, is this Jubin guy, like, should I do this thing, Dan? He probably said, don't do it. So I had to go above you to get, get this done, unfortunately, for you. So what he said, which I thought was really interesting that I'd love to get your take on, is forecasting is important. It's important because, like, we need to have predictability in our business, but forecasting at an individual level is particularly important, not because I want to come down your street or know that you're right but because I want to know how deep in your business you are. It is a signal to me of how deep you are in your business. How clearly do you see that picture? And obviously the clearer you can see that picture, the more predictable we can make decisions around capital allocation moving forward. But ultimately he said, like whenever reps complain about forecasting or why are we forecasting? Because His forecast is independent from the reps to some degree, right? Like you can get all the data without the reps giving their best case and worst case. He said, you need to still do your forecast because it tells me how well you understand your business. What do you think about that?
0: Yeah. I mean, I love that. When we think about new people joining the team, I always get very excited and we look for people that really think about it as they're running their own business. And I get a lot of energy from meeting account executive sales reps that really treat their territory as their own business and take a lot of care and feeding in terms of how they forecast it as well as how do they plan for the future so yeah i love that right with you dan
1: (laughs) that's awesome the other thing that is important for me to bring up is let me read you a quote let me start with that and that will tee up this conversation someone asked your ceo in an interview in the early days of github he said can you convince the reader to start using GitHub in 50 words or less was the question that the, that the interviewer asked. And your CEO said, I don't think I can, and I wouldn't want to. I'd rather you just try it out for yourself. Explore some open source or contribute to someone else's project. GitHub sells itself better than I ever could. I think if you give it a shot, you'll really like it. And upon preparing for this, I've had many bottoms up motion companies. Mm-hmm. so." think Atlassian CRO, we've had the Twilio CRO, we've had the Slack CRO. The common denominator almost every time is that it is a very engineering centric culture. That quote is very illuminating of the way that many of these CEOs and leaders at these bottoms up companies feel about sales, which is like sales? This thing's just going to sell itself. Are you kidding me? Sales are like the you know sleazy used car salesman. So GitHub was actually one of the first to do bottoms up. And when you joined, were they doing top down at all? And was there still a stigma around sales? Go ahead.
0: Yes, very much so. Yeah. So when I started, there were a handful of people in like hybrid role doing inbound from enterprises that they had their individual developers that were using GitHub in their open source personal world that were singing the praises at whatever company. And it was starting to come inbound, but there was really no top-down selling. And the company was definitely, that was not the mindset by any means. So I would say the first two years of building an enterprise sales organization was a lot about internal selling of why we should do this why it's valuable why you know you need both motions like you have to have both the bottoms up and the tops down scale to the heights that github was interested in so yeah it was a ton of internal selling lots of conversations i vividly remember conversations about should our sales team or sales reps have commissions why would you have commissions what is that why would you do that so, it was a lot of fun in the first couple of years. It kind of tests how you think about sales when you have to really internally convince people about some of the premises around, you know, traditional sales motions.
1: And the argument is I actually understand it from the CEO's perspective. Let's just say like, look, like this thing is working. And you know, our margins are higher because we're not paying 20% of every deal to a rep or whatever and someone to find that meeting and all the work that it takes. And by the way, Erica, like no one wants to talk to a salesperson. Like they're just going to use this and then it's going to organically grow from the bottoms up. Maybe I'll start with metrics. What were some of the like operational points that you bubbled up to say like, no, in fact, there's a more efficient way of doing this. That is an outbound tops down motion layered onto our bottoms up motion.
0: Yeah. I think, you know, one of the key things is we could see in our bottoms up, you could see all of these independent teams at XYZ company and you could see all their pockets. And it was like, these folks aren't talking to each other. They're all using this product independently. You need somebody to go talk and draw those connections to bring those teams together. And the power of the platform for GitHub is people working together. And so I think there was a lot of power in the bottoms up data because you could really see all the pockets of where just independent teams at the largest companies you can imagine in the world were using GitHub, but they weren't using it together. And I think that was ultimately the really compelling case is let us do that. Let us bring it together from the top and we can make, you know, obviously make our business healthier and stronger, but it's also better for the developers. I think what's really been key to GitHub for all of this time is we really do put developers first. And it guides a lot of decision-making. And sometimes that's at odds with an enterprise sales business. But generally, that's in the favor of everybody in the long term is having that mindset. And so I think that really helped is kind of drawing that connection together of of why there's value to do a top-down, quote-unquote, sale and help with a human (laughs) to make those connections.
1: Yeah. You know what I find interesting as I research this and other episodes that were bottoms-up For the Kleiner portfolio that I argue with all the time about, bottoms up and tops down, just to contextualize the timing of actually going top down in conjunction with bottoms up, it took until like 20 to 25 million of ARR to get to that is pretty late. Mm -hmm. You got to that point and that's similar to Twilio, like that's similar to many of these organizations doing it over again. Would you have started earlier or do you think that's the appropriate time to do it? What an unfair question, putting you on the hot seat like that.
0: You know, honestly, I think it was the right time when we started. I do. We had the signal, and the signal was the inbound was coming. For us, that was the natural signal. These companies were actively trying to find us. Please have a human that can talk to us that we want to expand this across our company So as much as I would love to say we should have started earlier in this particular case, I think the signals were right and the scale started at the right time. And, you know, there's some of it is related to the company's maturity and willingness to to go on that journey, too, because you you have to prioritize and, and think differently. And that was a big piece of it for us as well.
1: And I think in that transition, an underrated part of it is the product evolution that needs to happen, too. So like very basic SSO enterprises are going to want single sign-on. They're going to want MFA, Right. but there's just some basics. And then there's more nuanced things that they're going to want too. So, okay. All of a sudden you start having these sales reps. I think of sales in that transition as really, I actually don't even like calling them sales. Atlassian actually called them customer advocates. They don't use the word sales. I think of it as voice of the customer. And so at the time you were doing sales operations, all of a sudden you have all these people yelling, saying, these are the things that we need. How do you filter from an operations perspective, the features, bits, bytes, and functionality into like a synthesized narrative that you and Paul could take to the executive team? Because I imagine you had to take, it's almost like you're literally doing a POC internally, right? You take this technical case, you build a business case and then you present that. So for you, how did you think about taking the product features, that the delta between where you were today and what enterprises needed, synthesizing that and then delivering that as a business case?
0: Yes. Really, we started with the basics. You know, it's funny and fun looking back. You know, we used GitHub itself because obviously we use our own products. But we we started a, a place and a location where we were just aggregating customer feedback. And this lives on today. It's where we would, basically we have a, a repository is what it's called. And it's called the customer feedback repo. And you go in and you open an issue and you say XYZ feature is been requested. And then other sales reps will go to the customer feedback repo, search for SSO, let's say, and they'll put in like, Here's my other customer. Here's my other customer, and you just build this list of like effectively. Hey, look, you can see what type of profile these customers are, what segment it's in, how much demand we have for it, and so that's how we started. It was, it was you know using GitHub too, which is open to the whole company, so everybody could see what customers were asking for, which I think was another powerful thing here your engineering and product teams could see that as well. But that's what we did, right? And that's how we would aggregate feedback and we would prioritize those into like top 10 and top 50 and try to quantify what that would bring to the business if we could prioritize that. And we always had the balance because we also had github.com, which was housing all of open source development of the world and individual developers. And so you were always prioritizing how you were deciding, you know, what you wanted, community engagement or enterprise dollars. And it was always fun to work through. We still do it today.
1: (laughs) So there's leading indicators that these bottoms up companies look for in order to know what signal there is that the organization at the top is going to care and they're going to do like a larger deployment. Like that's when usually that's a signal for the rep to say like, okay, there's a sales campaign or an opportunity that I can engage in. Mm -hmm. So at Dropbox, three to 10% of usage within the organization was a tipping point. At Twilio, two to three departments using the service was a tipping point. What were leading indicators for GitHub that were your tipping point?
0: Yeah, ours were really similar like i mentioned we could see independent teams so you were looking for a couple of things it was you know sizing what that customer or our estimates on their developer population seeing how many teams and how many users were part of that and then comparing it against what we believed you know was the the developer potential there and those were our main signals we would look at what that usage was in those pockets by teams and departments and the numbers of users
1: I read a quote, and this might have actually come from Paul. At some point, that personal and team accounts were, in his words, steady Eddie. Like, it was just status quo growing a little bit, but enterprise growth was growing at 100% year over year. And so at some point, it became obvious, okay, there's something here. I'm very curious, what about from the point where you and Paul had decided— that it probably makes sense to do a top down motion layered onto the bottoms up to that point, was there moments of, oh my God, are we right? Because obviously looking back, we have success bias, right? Like, of course that was the right thing. But I think even more importantly now, there was no template of even doing tops down on a bottoms up motion. Like the bottoms up didn't even really exist at that point in any meaningful way. So like, you're kind of like blazing a new trail was there moments of just like, oh my god, what do we do?
0: <laughs> very, very much so. I think I even have like kept them. Like for some reason, we would always map things out on like pieces of paper. You know, here's how many accounts we believe we can go after in the territories and what we what we can see there. And, yeah, I think it was a lot of intuition, right? We could see this was a beloved product. We were lucky. This is product market fit. This is a wonderful product <laughs> that is loved by developers. And intuition guided us to what you're seeing in terms of those super fans. And those super fans are, are going to help you in your top-down motion. And you know, we we were right, but yeah, there were definitely moments that were scary in terms of, you know, how we were mapping out how we could go do this and the growth we would see.
1: And when you would make the argument that yes, we need tops down to sell to the enterprise, what was the counter argument was the counter argument that a fortune 100 was just going to buy on their own. Like what was the alternate narrative to doing tops down?
0: Yeah, I think, you know, one of them was around the brand and their, still a lot of sense around sales and marketing related to the developers. And so I think there were a lot of conversations at the time about like, how do we do this and uphold our brand, which is very much developer focused. And so that was one. I think the second one was, you know, just probably just a general lack of understanding that an enterprise purchasing a technology is not something that one person is making a decision on. There is procurement, there is legal, there is security and compliance teams. And you know I think it was just kind of that evolution that it's not just somebody that's gonna be able to make that decision. If you really want to get GitHub in the hands of all developers, that includes developers at companies, it needs to be a top-down motion with people that are experts in, in how you do this and work with customers at, the, at that size and scale and can sell the vision and grow with them. I think that was the other thing is we started to see needs that customers have that are supported by a support organization or a services organization to make sure you can help customers you know, on whatever journey they were headed on. So th- those were the things that kind of... The counterpoints and then what we kind of pushed through in terms of why it was important.
1: Well, it seems like you made some of the right decisions along the way. Congratulations. I, in closing, ask the same couple questions every time. The first, what does the word grit mean to you and how do you or your teams apply it?
0: Grit to me is, I think about it as just like keep on, keep it on, ride the twists and turns. Be agile, have a growth mindset, and keep focused on where you want to go. That's how I think about it. For our teams, I actually used the word earlier today talking to the GitHub revenue team. I think it's all of that. We're in something together. Let's go accomplish it together. And there's twists and turns always. And I think it's how you react to that and stay adaptable and agile.
1: You earlier, when I was asking, like, what are the things that you did to like push through, One of the things that you said was patience. In my mind, what you were saying was pain tolerance. Is that a euphemism for grit or all those three things kind of bucketed in the same category? Is that fair?
0: Uh, Very fair. Very fair. Very fair.
1: Yeah. Are you hiring? If so, what are you hiring for and what's the best way to get a hold of you?
0: We're hiring for lots of things. Sales, marketing, support, customer success, all of it. Get a hold of me at eanderson at github.com
1: erica thank you so much for your time
0: thank you it's been fun
1: that's it thanks for listening if you're just discovering the podcast we have a lot more episodes with cro's from organizations like snowflake twilio slack linkedin box etc if you want to keep up or support the show the best way to do so is by following us on spotify subscribing on apple and leaving a review thanks talk soon